Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, chapter 15, verses 18 and 27, and chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they would also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. We are currently in a series talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And I entitled this series, The Forgotten God. The title is taken from Francis Chan's book on the Holy Spirit. There are generally two responses to the Holy Spirit in the various streams, flavors of the Christian church. On the one side, the charismatic Pentecostal streams, the Holy Spirit is talked about all the time. But for most churches, the Holy Spirit is really talked about or understood. Yet when one reads the New Testament as a whole, it is very clear that the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential both in the life of a Christ follower and in the ministry of the church. Three weeks ago, in our introduction to the topic of the Spirit, we did an overview of the ministry of the Spirit. And as today's text points out, Jesus often refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Three times in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Today we want to ask, what are the implications for us that we need to understand when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth? Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about God's truth, religious, moral, spiritual truth. Immediately, we have to recognize that the world, especially the Western world, believes that there is no absolute religious truth. And they believe that for a number of reasons. In this modern world, we have become increasingly aware of the many different religious faiths and expressions. We don't want to believe that one can be right and true and the other's wrong. Don't all faiths point us to God and seek to teach us a right way to live? How is it possible that so many people who are so sincere in their religious beliefs be wrong? 
But surely we understand that sincerity has no bearing on what is true. After all, many people once believed the earth was flat, and we know they were sincerely wrong. Truth is always exclusive. Throughout the third world, the community is considered to be more important than the individual. And that has a profound bearing on how we look at religious spiritual truth. In our Western world, we generally have believed the opposite, that the individual is more important than the community. The government community exists to protect the rights of the individual. So when it comes to religious, moral, spiritual truth, it is up to the individual to decide what is true for them. Truth ends up being something that is determined by the individual. Therefore, truth is relative. Now, obviously, that's an oversimplification in some ways, but we need to acknowledge that simple reality because our cultural perspective profoundly impacts us as believers today. And we also need to realize that if there is truth, it has profound implications for society as a whole. One commentator pointed out the impact of truth tellers to the world at large throughout history. Think about what happened to the church when Martin Luther came along and began to challenge the prevailing Christian thought and practices that said we had to earn God's favor and love. Instead, he insisted that our relationship to God was dependent only on accepting and believing in what Jesus did for us at the cross and resurrection. Think about the profound impact that had and the struggles it created within the church and how it impacted the world. And then think about Martin Luther King the struggles that took place in our society when he declared the obvious truth that all people are created equal, regardless of race, culture, or nationality. And that struggle still continues today. Genuine truth-tellers always cause three things to happen in the world or culture or organization where they're speaking to. Genuine truth-tellers make the world a better place. They point to a better and healthier way of living for individuals and society as a whole. Two, they disrupt the existing social order. They challenge existing social norms, beliefs, and ways of living. And then three, they always lead to conflict within the culture they are addressing. There will always be people who fight against truth in a new way of thinking and living. Truth always has profound implications for individuals and society as a whole. And we have to understand that if we're going to truly appreciate the implications of what it means to follow Jesus, because foundational to Jesus' teaching is a commitment to the truth about God. And it is the Spirit's job to bear witness to God's truth in the life of the believer and in the life of the world at large. Twice in our readings today, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will speak God's truth into the life of the believers. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, John 15:26. And again in chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. It is the spirit's job to remind, help, and challenge our thinking about God's truth and how we are living as followers of Jesus. And it's the spirit's job to make God's truth real in the mind and heart of unbelievers. He doesn't come to be a part of their lives as he does when one commits to following Jesus, but it is his job to convince them of who Jesus is and their need to know and follow Jesus. So for the rest of our time, I want to briefly highlight the practical implications of Jesus calling the Holy Spirit, 
but spirit of truth. First, truth exists outside of ourselves. In other words, there's an absolute truth that exists apart from us, and we don't determine what is true. God defines what is true. That is the foundation of all of Jesus' teaching. It's especially highlighted in the Gospel of John. Jesus tells us that it's the Spirit's job to remind us of everything Jesus taught. Think about how Jesus taught. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus introduces his teaching using the words truly, truly over 20 times. One example, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Jesus is telling his disciples and all who follow him to listen up, to pay particular attention to what I'm about to say. Why? Because this is the truth. And what is interesting about Jesus' declarations is that he's speaking to the prevailing religious culture of the Jews. Remember, the Jews were God's chosen people to represent him in the world. God chose Israel to make himself known to the rest of the world. He was speaking to a people who had the entire Old Testament, the entire Mosaic Law, and the history of how God had worked miraculously among them in God's words through the prophets calling them back to follow God's truth. And that tells us that God's people often misunderstand or choose to ignore God's truth for how they are to live. In church history, since Jesus tells us the same thing, that God's people often are either ignorant of God's truth revealed in the scriptures or don't understand it, or just refuse to follow it. So when Jesus speaks saying, truly, truly, he is railing against the rejection of God's truth by the Jewish religious culture of his day. And then think about Jesus' famous proclamation in John 14, 6, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That is an absolute claim to truth. Remember our description of truth teller in the introduction Truth-tellers always point to a better way of life. Jesus wants to bring life and shalom, a peace that brings wholeness and a better way of living. His disciples recognize Jesus' claim to truth. In John 6, Jesus talks to the crowds about having to eat his flesh and drink his blood if you're going to follow him. Everyone who heard that had a hard time with that saying because they didn't understand that he was referring to communion, which we will observe later in the service. And many of those following turned away from Jesus because they could not accept that truth. Then Jesus asked his disciples afterwards if they want to leave also. But their response is basically, where would we go? Because you have the words of life, meaning you have been speaking the truth even if we don't understand it completely. And then throughout Jesus' last major teaching in the Gospels found in John 14 to 17, while Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he constantly talks about how he obeyed God's commandments and that his followers are called to obey God's commandments and that he is giving them a new commandment. For example, John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He is saying over and over that God's commandments are God's truth and it is in following and obeying God's truth that we find life. Jesus saying that there is a truth from God that exists outside of ourselves and that we were created to best function by obeying his truth. And that is where we'll find the best life as individuals and as a community. We don't determine truth, but God is the one who determines what is true. 
But even though there is this truth from God, we instinctively want to push back and fight against it. That's what the Bible tells us that God's chosen people, the Israelites, did. And church history tells us that even so-called followers of Jesus will also do that. And yet there is a desire in most people to know their purpose in life, to know what is true, and to seek that which is good, even though we still push back against it. That's called sin in the human nature. You know, I think one of the reasons that dogs have become such popular pets these days is because they can be easily trained to obey, and at the same time, they want to obey their owners if they've been properly raised because they want to be loved and to return love in their own way. Our dog, Timber, is really a gentle and obedient dog for the most part. But there is one area where he continues to always push back against what we tell him. He hates wet weather. He doesn't want to get his feet wet by walking on the wet ground. And at the same time, he loves the snow. So if it's raining, when we tell him to go out and go to the bathroom, he immediately runs in the opposite direction from the door back to his cage. He somehow knows the ground is wet. So I have to raise my voice, and then he'll return. And Timber, get over here. And then he'll return to go out with his head bowed down. He walks out onto the deck or down the stairs to the pavers at the base of the stairs. And then he'll just stand there and look back up at us with these sad eyes, pleading with me, do I really have to do this? And he'll just stand there and stand there and refuse to walk out on the wet ground. He won't go back to the bathroom. So though we say, okay, and he comes back in. And you wait to another time. Timber is a perfect example of who we are as people. We want to love and be loved. We want to find the best life possible. And even though that life is best found in following Jesus and God's commands, we will still instinctively push back against God's truth. Secondly, truth from Jesus turns the world's truth upside down. I don't think we fully appreciate just how radical Jesus' truth really is, how different it is from the truth in the world around us. You know, I know for much of my life, I didn't think I had fully appreciated how radical it really is. I think it's easy for us as Jesus' followers to accept and realize we aren't perfect, that we break God's commandments. But I'm not sure we understand the radical implication of that for how we actually think and live. Hence, we don't understand how much tension that creates between Christians and the world around them or the world around us. It's easy for us to accept the two great commandments that Jesus taught to summarize the whole Mosaic law, love God and love others as yourself. But we push back at the radical implications of those two commandments. We're called to forgive everyone no matter how much they have hurt you or hurt someone you love. We're called to love our enemies and go the extra mile and to pray for those who persecute us because of our faith. And then we're called to treat all people the same Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know what a common prayer in Jesus' day amongst many of the devout Jews was? I thank God that I'm not a female nor a Gentile. And it's obvious to all that even today, within our so-called enlightened culture and even within the church, we still struggle with respecting, loving, and treating everyone the same. How often are Jesus' followers unloving to sinners or those people who reject our values? We are often quite judgmental. 
Then there is all of Jesus' teaching about how God blesses the poor, the humble, the little children. Society genuinely, usually, gives attention to the rich, the powerful, and the famous. But Jesus tells us instead that we're to show favor to the poor, the marginalized, the struggling, the sick, the orphans, the prostitutes, and the immoral people in this world. Then there are all the so-called moral commands that conflict with how the world around us operates. Sex is meant to be enjoyed in the context of a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. That all human life is to be valued and treated with respect. That we're not supposed to slander and gossip about people. And today, social media is all about gossip and slander. We could go on and on. Paul best summarizes the inherent conflict between God's truth and the values of the world and culture around us in 1 Corinthians where he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Jesus' values and truth is radically different from the world's values and truth. We want to minimize the difference between the two, but if we understand Scripture, we have to realize just how different they really are. And that leads us to our last point. Truth from Jesus leads to inevitable conflict with the world around us. The inevitability of conflict with the culture around us is the major theme of Jesus' teaching in John 15. Listen again to what Jesus says about how and why they hated him. If I had not come and spoken to them, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But because the world realizes they're not living the right way, Jesus goes on to say, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. And then Jesus quotes from the Psalm of David that the world hated him without cause. In other words, there was no legitimate reason for the world around to hate Jesus. He only did good, bringing life and health and peace to people. But they chose to hate Jesus anyway because his values are the complete opposite of the values of the culture around him. And so Jesus says, because they hated Jesus, it's inevitable that the world and culture around us will also hate his followers. If they seek to live according to his commands and values, Jesus is really emphatic in these verses about this. Listen to some of the things he said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, 1518. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, 1519. Remember what I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 1521. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, 1521. And then Jesus reverses everything to make the same point. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Do you see and understand how emphatic Jesus is there? He is repeating himself over and over to make very clear to us that the world rejected Jesus before us. And if we truly seek to follow Jesus in an honest way, the world will also hate what we say and do. It's easy for us not to understand this truth. We're so used to hearing about Jesus in the church that it's just the norm for us and it becomes a little ho-hum. And we don't understand the truly radical nature of the gospel. I know that's been true for me in my life. Just as a caveat here, 
Jesus is not talking about the world hating us because we're obnoxious and judgmental and always pointing fingers. Oftentimes, that's why the world hates the church and Christians. Jesus is talking about the world hating us because we are the exact opposite of being obnoxious and judgmental. But we're being humble and kind and loving even as we speak God's truth. As I've read the Gospels in the book of Acts these last few years, I've noticed over and over a theme that runs through all of them. The ordinary people in Jesus' day, people who struggled to live, people who were poor and marginalized, people who were sick and physically struggling, or people who were outcasts in society around them, were intrigued by Jesus. They were drawn to him. They flocked to hear him and to be healed physically, spiritually, and mentally by him. Those people in society who were humble and knew they didn't really control the life they wanted, wanted to see and hear Jesus. Luke describes the early church and says this, they found favor with all the people in Acts 2.47. Where did the opposition to Jesus come from? It came from the religious, political, and cultural elite of society in Jesus' day. Why? Jesus' teaching and values upset and contradicted how they lived, what they taught, challenged their positions in society. So in the Gospels and Acts, it is reported that the leaders of society constantly stirred up the crowd to oppose Jesus and to persecute his followers. And the same is basically today. Ordinary people who know, who you know that don't have everything figured out about life, who are struggling, are very appreciative of Christians in the church when they seek to live out Jesus' values and teaching. They'll listen to the gospel and respect those who lovingly convey its message, even if they don't respond to or genuinely embrace its message. The opposition to Jesus today usually comes from the powerful, the political authorities, the cultural elite, and the various religious leaders and faith. And just as it is presented in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, when the leaders of society stir up the crowds, that is when the crowds turn on Jesus. Think about the last week of Jesus' life. On Palm Sunday, the crowds were welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. But to two short days, the crowds turned on him and were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Basically, all human authorities will reject and oppose the truth about God that is demonstrated in the person of Jesus. That's why Paul tells us our primary citizenship is in heaven and not to any country or this world in general. Why do totalitarian governments diligently persecute religious faith, especially the followers of Jesus? They realize when someone wholeheartedly follows Jesus, the person embraces a faith, commitment, and power that undermines and resists the claims for loyalty that the state seeks to make. Faith in Jesus undermines the power and control of such totalitarian governments. And cultural, political, and religious authorities in this world fear the power and commitment that comes from a genuine faith in Jesus. They realize there is an inherent power in the truth of the gospel that is capable of undermining everything they try to do or control. Do you recognize the genuinely radical nature and claims of the gospel of Jesus? Or has it just sort of become ho-hum in the sense that we believe it, but really fail to live it out instead of grasping the radical nature of Jesus' truth? And that is why we should be praying and beginning each day asking the Spirit to reveal to us the truth about God and the truth about our own lives. That's why Jesus three times calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit is meant to bring and make real in our lives the truth about Jesus and God. That's the Spirit's job. 
The Spirit was not given to us to call attention to the Holy Spirit, but rather the Holy Spirit is given to draw our attention to and bear witness about Jesus. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. Are you open and willing to ask the Holy Spirit to speak God's truth into your life each and every day? That's a question we, as Jesus' followers, have to ask and answer every day of our lives.